In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our series of talks we're giving on the Mass and the Eucharist in my program on the Sower. We've arrived already at our fourth program. So we'd like to start off by praying to Mary, the Mother of God, Mary who is the Mother of the Church, and Mary is the Mother of each and every one of us. Also we call out to Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's pray the prayer that Mary loves most, and that prayer is the Hail Mary, together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now we'd like to invite our spiritual director to be with us. Our spiritual director is God himself. And that is the Holy Spirit. Among the many titles that we can give to the Holy Spirit are the following. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. The Holy Spirit is the gift of gifts. The Holy Spirit is our consoler. He's also our counselor. The Holy Spirit is he who makes us holy, the sanctifier. Also the Holy Spirit is our interior master. St. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 with these words. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba, which means father or daddy. This being the case, let's beg the Holy Spirit to give us a lot of light in our intellect, in the fire of divine love to burn within our hearts. As we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit 
we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. The Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. Archangel Gabriel, Pray for us. St. Raphael. Pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola. Pray for us. St. Francis Xavier. Pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila. Pray for us. Saint Maria Faustina Kowalska, <coughs> pray for us. All guys, angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Many blessings upon all of you. And to encourage you as I follow up on my talks on Holy Mass by going through the liturgical year. Very appropriate that I say words of encouragement that I'll pray for you today in the greatest of all prayers. And the greatest of all prayers, my friends, is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. There exists no greater prayer in the whole world than the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So I'd like to place you on the altar. And offer these intentions. First of all, that all of us would be open to the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Docility to the Holy Spirit is the secret of sanctity. May this be our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. My next intention will be, I'd like to pray for your families. Especially family members that have walked away from God, that are walking in darkness. That they would come to 
the awareness that Christ is the light of the world. That only Christ can give us true happiness because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through Him. My third intention that I'd like to place on the altar, invite you to pray with me. I'd like to pray for the dying today. Especially those who are dying or will die today that are not well prepared. That through our prayers, through the power that comes from the greatest of all prayers, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, that these people that are dying will open up their hearts and entrust themselves to the mercy of God. Where sin abounds, the mercy of God abounds all the more. So my friends, as we celebrate Mass, I'd like to place all of you on the altar that God would shed upon you and your family and your loved ones a downpour of heavenly graces. Amen. Now the topic that we're going to address today will be once again we're talking about the Mass and that which refers to the Mass. But let's go deeper into what is called the Church Liturgical Year. But a brief summary of what we've done so far. The first talk, we spoke about the Eucharist we spoke about Holy Communion. We outlined the three basic conditions or requirements that we have to have if we receive the Eucharist well. Now those three basic conditions are the following. The first, we must have faith and belief in what the Eucharist is. If we only believe that the Eucharist is a piece of bread, then we should not receive the Eucharist. Or believe that it's only a symbol. As my sister-in-law did before, for she was given the light of faith. If we believe it's just a piece of bread or just a symbolic representation of Christ, then we should not receive the Eucharist. We have to have a firm, deep belief that the Holy Eucharist is truly the body, the blood, 
the soul and the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the first and fundamental condition to receive the Eucharist. Well, we have to believe. We should never go up and say, I'm going to go up and get the bread, as some people say. Rather, I am going to receive Holy Communion. We should have proper vocabulary when we express ourselves in our Catholic faith, most specifically about the Mass and the Eucharist. The second condition that the Church requires is the Eucharistic fast. Before it was midnight on, and then it was three hours. Now the Eucharistic fast is just one hour. So if you go to Mass at 10 o'clock on Sunday, and you're finishing your meal probably by 9.30, you could still receive communion because the Sunday Mass, the priest is not giving out communion until probably 40 minutes, 45 minutes into the Mass. You can drink water, you can take medicine. And if one of you is watching over an elderly person like your mother or your grandmother, then the elderly person is not required to fast, is dispensed, and so also the person that is watching over the elderly or the sick. Finally, the third condition to receive Holy Communion well is that we have to be in the state of grace. We cannot receive communion if we've committed a mortal sin. Mortal sin deprives our soul of the state of grace. So for us to receive the sacrament of the living, which is the Eucharist, the body, the blood, the soul, divinity of Christ, then it's imperative that we be in the state of grace. Having committed mortal sin, we first have to have recourse to receiving the sacrament of confession to the priest. And the priest represents Christ. So when you receive absolution, it's Christ himself that is really forgiving you. So there, my friends, we have the three basic conditions to receive Holy Communion, the Eucharist well. Belief in the real presence, that it is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The Eucharistic fast, which has to be in our and finally, to be in the state of grace. Then, my friends, we entered into 
how Christ communicates himself to us. What is called the church or ecclesial liturgical year. And it's a cycle which repeats itself every year. So we relive the life of Christ through word and sacrament. Every time we enter into the sublime and august reality of Holy Mass. We said that we started the church year in Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word, avenire, which means to come. Advent is a season of preparation for the birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Advent has four Sundays. And one of the primary symbols that is utilized in Advent would be the Advent wreath that you notice in the churches and you should have in your homes. The Advent wreath is green, it's circular, and it has four candles. Green is the color that symbolizes hope. Circular symbolizes God's eternity that has no beginning and no end. The four candles are symbolic of Christ who is the light of the world. The three candles that are purple symbolize a call to renewal, a call to penance, a call to conversion. First words we have in the preaching of Christ in his public ministry. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15 were be converted because the kingdom of God is at hand. In Greek, the word is metanoia. Then there's one candle which is pink. This would be the third Sunday of Advent and pink is symbolic of joy. Joy because Jesus Christ is about to be born and that is an infinite source of joy. As St. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. The Advent culminates in the birthday of Christ, and that is the celebration of Christmas. Christmas means the birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His name is symbolic of his mission. The Archangel Gabriel said to Mary, His name will be Jesus because he will 
save the people from their sins. That is the primary purpose of Christ. Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen says, of all the names that we can give for Christ, Jesus as Savior is the most important because that indicates the mission for which he came. He came to save us from sin, save us from the devil, save us from the slavery to our vices, save us from the reality of eternal damnation. He is our universal Savior. Christmas has three Masses. The Mass at midnight, the Mass at dawn, and the Mass during the day. The Christmas season, we celebrate several very important feast days. In the Christmas season, we celebrate the feast day of the Holy Family. The Holy Family is Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph. We also celebrate the beginning of the new year, January 1st. We celebrate Mary, the Mother of God. And of all of the titles that we can give to Mary, Mary as Mother of God is the greatest of all the titles that we can give to Mary. So January 1st, we start off the new year placing our lives in the hands and the heart of Mary, the Mother of God. Pope Paul VI proclaimed it also as the universal day of peace. Then in the Christmas season, we also celebrate what is called the Solemnity of the Epiphany. The Epiphany, the Feast Day of the Kings, who followed the star to Jesus Christ. I remember once seeing a bumper sticker that I actually made a bumper sticker for myself with this. Wise men still find Jesus in the arms of Mary. Don't you like that? Wise men. Wise men still find Jesus in the arms of Mary. So this is the Christmas season and the Christmas season terminates with the celebration of the feast day of the baptism of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. With the celebration of the baptism of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Jordan River, we conclude the Christmas season and we enter into what we call ordinary time. There are two ordinary times. There's a short ordinary time, then there's a longer ordinary time. 
During Advent, the priest wears purple. During the Christmas season, the priest wears white. During the ordinary time, if the church is not celebrating a saint or a martyr, the priest wears green. We are presently, my friends, in ordinary time. But in a matter of a couple of days, we'll enter into another season. And this would be the season of Lent. So ordinary time, the church is reliving the life of Christ. And basically going through the public life of Christ. Presently, we're reading and meditating the Gospel of St. Mark. That's right. The public life of Christ, we go through that, which is probably about 75% of the Gospels. And the public life of Christ could be summarized, my friends, in the three years from when our Lord is 30 to 33 years of age, into three basic activities. We see Jesus as a great preacher. We see Jesus as a great, great preacher. Now we see Jesus also carrying out miracles. Jesus is carrying out miracles. Why did he carry out miracles? Well, he said to the non-believers, if you don't believe my words, at least believe my actions. And the miracles of Christ could be divided into two. Miracles of healing And then miracles over nature. Miracles of healing are the more abundant. Healing the sick. Giving sight to the blind. Giving hearing to the deaf. Healing the lepers. Healing the paralytics. Raising the dead and giving them new life. But then there are the miracles over nature. Actually, the first miracle that Jesus carried out in his public life, you can find in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. But then Jesus walks on water. He calms the storm. He multiplies the loaves and the fish. So that could be a summary of the public life of Christ that we go through in the liturgical year in what is called ordinary time. 
even though we called ordinary time, Saint Therese of Lisieux says that our holiness depends upon doing the ordinary things of daily life with extraordinary love. I repeat, Saint Therese of Lisieux says, says that our holiness depends upon doing the ordinary things of our ordinary daily life with extraordinary love. So ordinary time, there are two ordinary times. From the baptism of Jesus up until the beginning of Lent, which is Ash Wednesday, right around the corner. Then after we move from the Lenten season through the Easter season, celebrating Pentecost, then we enter into ordinary time. The longer ordinary time, which usually lasts from June all the way up until the end of November, then once again we start the new church year with the season of Advent. So it's very appropriate that today, in our conversation, that we explain the season of Lent the season of Lent both Advent and Lent are very strong times in the liturgical year culminating in the two key mysteries of the life of Christ Advent culminates in the incarnation and the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Christmas. Whereas Lent culminates in what is called the Paschal Mystery. And when I say Paschal Mystery, we mean the mystery of our salvation, which is the Passion death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I repeat, this is very important terminology that we should get to know. The Paschal Mystery, the Paschal Mystery means the passion, suffering, death, but resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Lent, in Spanish and Italian and the Latin, you have the word Quaresma. Quaresma would be the Spanish, which means 40. The biblical foundation for Lent would be the number 40. You're going to see the number 40 in the Bible. 
repeated time and time again. And Lent is characterized by the 40. Moses traveled through the desert with the chosen people for 40 years. Jonah, when he was spat out from the belly of the whale, preached to Nineveh in 40 days. 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed if you don't repent. Then, of greatest importance, we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is always the first Sunday of Lent, the Gospel for the first Sunday of Lent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, He spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. So the first Sunday of Lent, the Gospel, is we find Jesus in the desert praying and fasting and battling with the devil. So that's the key biblical number and foundation found in Jesus Christ. He himself enters into the desert into the battleground. We are called to enter into the desert into the battleground in our own lives. So Lent. So let's start now explaining the whole season of Lent starting from the beginning. My friends were explaining what's called the liturgical year in a series of 12 talks that the sower or sembrador is utilizing for their radio program. So Lent starts with Ash Wednesday. Let's talk about Ash Wednesday to enter into the whole context and the reason for the season, the meaning of Lent. My friends, unless we have an education, understanding of the church liturgical year, the calendar, it's difficult to really enter into the church and to derive a lot of fruit. How important is education for us to be a well-educated Catholic. So we enter into these 40 days with Christ as our leader and guide. On Ash Wednesday. Now the priest 
moving from the the green liturgical garments, his chasuble, his stole, he'll be wearing purple during the course of these 40 days. And as mentioned earlier, purple, my friends, is a color that is symbolic of conversion. The priest wears purple during Advent. When you go to priests, the priest is wearing a purple stole. Confession is the sacrament of conversion. Not a bad idea to go to confession during these Lenten days. And then we start with Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. So let's try to understand what is the meaning? What is the meaning and the purpose of these ashes that we receive on our head or on our forehead? My friends, if we do not understand the meaning of these gestures, we can easily fall into superstition. For that reason, it's very important, my friends, that that we be educated in our Catholic faith. We want to have literate and eloquent and convicted Catholics to be able to spread our faith to others. The ashes are actually taken from the palm branches. The palm branches that you receive on Palm Sunday, as we enter into Holy Week, those palm branches are burnt, pulverized, And then they're turned into ashes. So the ashes from those palm branches are placed on your forehead. On Ash Wednesday. Now, What does receiving ashes mean? Very important that we understand the whole thrust, the whole meaning of why I have ashes on my forehead. And it's the following. When you approach to receive your ashes, the minister can say one of two things. He can say, remember that you are dust and into dust you shall return. Or you might hear this, 
Repent and believe in the gospel. I repeat, you can receive one of two, hear one of two short biblical expressions. And they come from the Bible. Remember that you are dust, and into dust you shall return. And the other would be, repent and believe in the gospel. So let's take these two phrases and try to understand them. Remember that you're dust, and into dust you shall return, can be found in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible. which is the book of Genesis. In the biblical context would be, Adam and Eve have committed original sin. And God intervenes by meeting out punishments on our first, our first parents. First is that the woman, Eve, and all women that are mothers will bring forth children in pain. Then with respect to Adam and man, he will earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. In other words, the call to hard work and labor and fatigue, and sweat. Earning his bread by the sweat of his brow. Then the serpent will crawl on the ground and eat dust. Then, here's the key message. God says, remember that you are dust, and you shall return into dust. Therefore, as a result of original sin that was committed by our first parents, Adam and Eve, the pain of sin is death, as we read in St. Paul's letter to the Romans. The pain of sin, or the recompense of sin, is death. So that first biblical passage, which can be said when the ashes are imposed, highlights and emphasizes the fact that one day we will die. It points to our the mortality of our human life. That sooner or later, sooner or later, all of us one day will die. Some young, some old, others in the middle, in the middle between young and old. 
but all of us one day, all of us one day will die. And this is a consequence of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. One day we will die. And we have to be prepared. The church is teaching us that we have to be prepared. St. Catherine of Siena says that the most important moment in our life is the moment that we die. We have to be prepared. Jesus says that he will come like a thief in the night. In the Diocese of Los Angeles, just last Saturday, we all learned of the tragic death of one of the auxiliary bishops, Bishop David O'Connell, an Irish priest that was consecrated in the year 2015. He was assassinated in his own home. It's a shock to all of us in the Diocese of Los Angeles. We're mourning the death of our beloved regional bishop of San Gabriel, Bishop David O'Connell. But I say that because it's a shock because of the way that he died, but also it happened so suddenly. It was such a surprise that it happened in that manner. But we ourselves, my friends, we really don't know. We really don't know, my friends, the day, the hour, the minute, the manner that God is going to call us from time to eternity to our own particular judgment. So Lent is a time in which the church exhorts us to wake up and to recognize that one day we're going to die. So the season of Lent is a time to die to sin so as to be raised to new life. I repeat, the season of Lent is a time to die to sin, die to sin so that we can be raised up to, to, to new life with the Lord. Now, the priest or minister, when he's imposing ashes, can also say these words. 
which are taken from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's the first time we hear Jesus preaching in his public ministry. And those words are, Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. In Greek, the word is metanoia. The Greek, the word is metanoia, which means a changing of mentality. Because we change our lives also by the way we think. St. Paul says, put on the mind of Christ. Have a renewal in the way you think. Put on the mind of Christ. Then Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. And our desire in Lent is that we will be able to say one day, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So repent and believe in the gospel is a clarion call for all of us to change our lives, to be converted from sin, to practice virtue, and to follow Christ. Now, for us to live out This call to conversion. The Mass on Ash Wednesday. The readings basically give us the blueprint or the program that we should follow if we want to arrive at a sincere profound conversion of heart. I repeat, the Gospel for Ash Wednesday, which is taken from the Sermon on the Mount that we're actually reading in the Sunday Masses, Jesus offers us the blueprint or the foundation on which we can arrive at this conversion of life and die in the state of grace. St. Alphonse de Liguori says, the grace of all graces, the grace of all graces is to die in the state of grace. The grace of all graces is to die in the state of grace so that we'll be saved. So the Gospel, Jesus offers us three specific tools that we should utilize to arrive at this metanoia, 
to arrive at this conversion of heart, conversion of mind, conversion of life. And these are Jesus calls us to a deeper life of prayer. He calls us to a deeper call to penance and fasting. And Jesus calls us also to a more ardent and fervent practice of almsgiving, or if you like, of charity. Father Al Hall gives us a three-dimensional way of understanding these three practices so that we can arrive at this metanoia, this conversion of heart. Father Al says we have to, to go up to go in and to go out. That's right. We're called to go up. We're called to go in. And we're called to go out. We're called to go up. We're called to go in. We're called to go out. Some spiritual aerobics or gymnastics, right? To go up, to go in, and to go out. To go up through prayer. To go in through penance and fasting. To go out of ourselves, giving, almsgiving. As Mother Teresa says, give until it hurts. St. Paul says there's more joy in giving than in receiving. So it's incumbent upon us as we enter into the holy season of Lent, to see what can we do in those three specific areas to really live out Lent so we can die to sin and to live the life of Christ, to live in the Spirit. We want to go up. We want to pray more and pray better. We we want to go in. We want to renounce our own selfishness. Fasting from sin is one of the best things we can do. Then we want to go out. Love covers a multitude of sins. And remember, charity begins at home. 
And finally, when we talk about Ash Wednesday, the church also requires that we fast on Ash Wednesday. Fasting is required by those who are 18 years of age up to 59. And traditionally that would be you can have a normal size meal, then the other two meals will be smaller, not exceeding the normal size meal. We're also called to abstinence. Fasting also means abstinence, not eating meat on Ash Wednesday, nor any of the Fridays in Lent. So my friends, we've had a very good conversation today. It's always a great joy to be with all of you. So I'd like to wish all of you a very holy and happy Lent. And I'd like to impart to all my priestly blessing. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Amen.